I'm Liz Testa, and this is Lavish Hope, stories of resilience and overcoming. On this bonus holiday episode, I'm delighted to welcome Reverend April Feet, a good friend and colleague who has made a tremendous impact on our ministry by sharing her writing and editing gifts with us. From her home base raising children and chickens and co-pastoring with husband Jeff in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, April is a blogger and writer whose latest book, The Sacred Pulse, Holy Rhythms for Overwhelmed Souls, is being released by publisher Broadleaf Books on December 14, 2021. I recently got to chat with her about the journey to embrace her calling to become an author and the creative process for this book, which unfolded in the midst of the pandemic. I know you'll be inspired by her journey and find some valuable tips that can resonate in your own life. Let's jump in. So here we are, Lavish Hope, stories of resilience and overcoming. I'm Liz Testa and so delighted to have my good friend and sister in ministry, Reverend April Feet, here on the podcast today. Welcome, April. Thank you for having me, Liz. It's wonderful to have you with us. April, you are in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. Yes. So, and I'm over here outside of New York City and New Brunswick, New Jersey in my uh, studio today. And so we are quite many miles apart, but we are certainly close in spirit. And so um, as we're thinking about this topic of Lavish Hope, there's so much, right? We've been doing some ministry work together for some years now and really been encouraging each other in our callings. And so I'm wondering um, if you can share with our listeners what resilience means to you, just to get us started. That is such a beautiful question and how timely um, in our world, I think resilience is something so many of us are, are wrestling with right now. Um, for myself personally, um, resilience has shown up in many different ways, but one that's really on my heart right now is the way that God has woven my own story with the story of women's transformation and leadership in the RCA. And I'm remembering years ago, I was feeling a stirring in my own heart that God was calling me to do a little bit more. Hmm. Um, my husband and I were co-pastoring in rural Iowa, and we were raising our young children. And as they started to get a little older, I could just hear the whisper that there was more to do. Mm-hmm. And it was right around that time, Liz, that you reached out to me and said, yeah. would, you, would you consider doing something with us? And I said, believe it or not, I, I've been waiting for something like this. So cool. <laughs> um, it was just wonderful, just a wonderful movement of the spirit. And that led to a, a brief project of looking at an elder and deacon training manual to make sure that women were represented, um, that this was something, especially for fledgling leaders, people who had never been in ministry before and maybe had never seen a woman lead on consistory. Mm-hmm. Um, what would this training say to those people? And so I got the opportunity to look at that wonderful training document through that lens and offer some suggestions and some encouragement of things to try. Um, And that just um, like a snowball rolling down the hill led to Mm -hmm. more and more opportunities, um, both for my own flourishing, but also um, ways that I could use my writing and my passion to reach out to other people in their context. And it's been really meaningful to me, especially when I was first ordained 
as a minister in Pleasant Prairie Classis, Iowa. I was the first ordained woman. I had no other um, female leaders to look to. And I was at first felt very insecure in my own calling. So trying to forge my own path with few examples. Um, And so that elder and deacon training um, material gave me the opportunity to ask what would I have wanted for myself when I was in that position. And I am sure that. you needed a lot of resilience as I'm just thinking about that. As oh. you're just naming that, I'm like, wow, talk about resilience, right? Yeah, it was a, a time of growth um, mm-hmm. really for me, um, but to be able to watch the way the spirit grew me and also encouraged me to help grow other people at the same time um, was really, really beautiful. Say more about the story then. So you went from there to then doing these other projects with us. Yes. Shortly after that project, um, God started laying on our hearts this idea of a Women of the Bible Study series and also building God's church together. Um, How do men and women work together in these flourishing ministry partnerships? And it seemed like right about the time we started working on building God's church together, this need for a statement um, against sexual violence and abuse and harassment um, really bubbled up to the surface. This need Mm -hmm. was real and present. And that led to the creation of the We Are Speaking Statement. Um, And I served as as the lead writer, um, but there were so many people that worked together to really listen to the movement of the spirit. And again, I think that's an example of resilience as well as the reality of the pervasiveness of abuse, um, both in our society and in the church began to be uncovered, um, you know, we could either allow that to crush us and it does, it breaks our hearts. It should, it shatters our hearts, but it also gave us the opportunity to speak and to stand and to say, this is not what God wants uh, for God's children. God wants all people to flourish. And so to be able to create that statement and invite other um, ministers and people in congregations to also add their voices um, was truly a powerful um, moment of resilience, I think. Well, and I so appreciate you naming that because that we are speaking statement, of course, that came out um, just for our listeners to give them some sort of like time context that that was the that was during the season when Me Too was all over the news, it was happening. There was this real rising up out in the public square and in the political arena that this is not okay and we finally have had enough. Society finally had had enough. And so some of those, um, you know, ways of that women were being, and and men, some men too, and boys and girls um, had been, you know, prey to harassment, abuse, and sexual violence, as our statement says, that we were finding that there were many in the church that were staying silent. And that's really what, I mean, that's why it's we are speaking, right? And we were confessing, it was confessional, the way you constructed it, the statement is, it was confessional that even as we didn't know what to do, even if we didn't necessarily have the perfect words, even if we didn't have all the information that, you know, we possibly could have, we still were going to stand in the gap and say, we are speaking because we must, we must not remain silent. And that was our godly and gracious response to what was happening out in the world as Christians. And so April, just to say, you were so, 
I mean, when you say that the an example of resilience was the way we gathered together around that was that truly was the way to be resilient was because we had to overcome a system that, you know, the greater system of the church was not finding a way to express. Yes. So we had to kind of overcome some things in our own fears and our own humility and to say, we are going to do this. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us. And, um, and so you were surely the woman that was called for such a time as this, like if we needed an Esther in our midst, you or she to step forth and to be willing to, to take that project on. I remember when I, I, I called you and I said, well, you know, we just signed your contract to do this other work around, you know, theology and some social media stuff. And then, but here's this project that's suddenly come up. And so together you and I really kind of locked arms and gathered that group of wise. We needed our guiding coalition. We needed some folks, uh, you know, therapists. We needed some of the women who had had stories of abuse that could share in and could read. You know, we had some brothers that we needed to have take a look at it. And you had such a gift to be able to synthesize it all. That was, it was, it was a tremendous gift to the church. And we had, we've had over a thousand people sign our statement and we have this beautiful resource um, just all sorts of materials uh, that we can point people to. So I give God thanks every day for that, April, really. That was a, a beautiful way that you stepped out in a season that seemed kind of hopeless. And you created a space for hope. Very authentic, real gritty hope. Thank you. As I think back on that statement and the synthesizing of all of the the thoughts and the viewpoints and the important things that we needed to include. As I look in my own spiritual journey, that is one moment that I can say with clarity that the spirit was guiding and moving and directing um, in such a powerful, tangible way. Um, to think back upon that is really moving to me. Um, and I I hope it I hope so for everyone who participated in the creating of the statement. Yeah, you know, it, it just occurs to me that as we're thinking, you know, we're, we're always thinking about where does resilience come from? I think it's important for us to remember, to yes. look back, that notion of the Sankofa, of the looking back to look forward, to always be reminding ourselves of where did the Spirit lead and guide and show up for us and give us what we needed to be brave and courageous and to take the stand and to overcome um, and, and move forward as we're being called to do, right? Because that's also part of living into our callings. So pretty, pretty fantastic. And so then, um, then our Women of the Bible study, that was so interesting, but the concept of you first doing the elders and deacons training uh, and making sure that women's perspectives were, were, were honored there and then bringing in, you know, scripture to help undergird that, of course. And then now you're doing this wonderful project for us, this um, three-volume seri three series, the Women of the Bible, she is called Women of the Bible Study Series. Um, can you talk a little bit about that process and perhaps where hope, resilience, and overcoming comes into play with that? Absolutely. You know, it's been really exciting working on these three volumes with my co-editor, um, Reverend Dr. Travis West. He has been such an amazing um, co-editor and champion of this study series. Um, but as we've reached out to writers um, to contribute sessions on women of the Bible, 
one of the things that has really encouraged but also surprised me is the enthusiasm around which women in the Bible to focus on. Um, quite often, it's women who have either received a bad reputation um, historically that was not warranted or women whose stories have been skipped over. Um, difficult stories of women in the Bible, but st also stories of inspiration. And so really, um, we haven't struggled to think of women, women's stories to include. We've struggled to narrow it down because there are right. so many, there are so many important stories. But one of the things I love the very most about this series is our rich diversity of authors and perspectives mm -hmm. that we've been able to include. We've, we've got brand new ministers who are writing. We've got commissioned pastors. We've got a president of one of our seminaries. Um, we just have this wonderful, rich, um, diverse perspective and voices on these women. And I think that that has encouraged the participants to stretch their views um, of these women's stories. Maybe some of the stories are familiar. They thought they knew these stories, but looking at it through a different lens they've been encouraged to see these women's stories in a, in a whole new way. Um, and so that in many ways has also been a story of resilience and hope. Um, the, the launching of that volume one, um, we had first thought that it would be um, a paper, a hard copy for people to use. And that did end up happening. But because that Women in Ministry Sunday we were preparing for, happened to be during COVID when most churches were not meeting in person. Um, we kind of scrambled for a little bit. We listened to the spirit and decided we were going to launch it online first so that any study group, any congregation could quickly get access to these stories and be able to use them. And we know many congregations have done this via Zoom, um, Google Meets, different things. Um, and then eventually we were able to do one um, through uh, Women's Transformation and Leadership, quite a wonderful study of volume one. Um, so in the midst of this trying season, when churches were struggling with how do we honor Women in Ministry Sunday when we aren't gathering in person, right. and when so many church leaders were um, struggling, their creative juices were already tapped out as they right. had pivoted, moved their services online, and learned all new ways of being the church. Um, this volume one was really a gift, um, this opportunity to dig into stories of women who also went through trying times, and God um, led them through resiliently. And that gave us some hope, I think, when we really needed it. I constantly marvel at how God met us there because we were, you know, March 2020 was when shutdown started. It was May of 2020 when that was our, you know, mid-May, right? The Sunday after Mother's Day actually was our, is in our denomination, the Reformed Church in America is the day that we observe our Women in Ministry Sunday. And what were we to do? And what we found was, you know, it was just like, God had the plan, right? For surely God knows the plan God has for us, says the Lord. <laughs> That, um, that this future with hope. And so it was that in that season, we realized the print edition was not going to happen. All of the organizations that were going to help do that were closed down. So we partnered with our communications team. They were able to get a digital version of the study whipped up, 
we had happened to have been on a trip to the Holy Land that fall before and had photos that we could contribute to it and sign off on. And so we had some visuals. Um, and that just was really a wonderful blessing, I think, for so many. And the thing about this Bible study, too, this Women of the Bible study, the way that you and Travis and the writers all created it was with that foundational concept that it's for the whole church. It's yes. not another ladies Bible study. This is for men and women, boys and girls, all God's children to be able to engage in. And I think that's also something, there's something here, April, that you keep you keep talking about. And I just want to name it for our listeners. It has to do with community, I think. Mm. It really is about the value of not trying to do it by yourself, but doing it, finding who are the partners, who are the co-laborers, who does God bring us, Right to be able to wisely move forward. They always say, right, the, 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 the African proverb is, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yes. And I think that's something that we did need to, we wanted to go far. And so we locked arms with quite a few to help us get there. And, um, and it did. And, and what you were saying, you know, when we think back, that was such a hard time. And, and it's true for our for our church leaders. They didn't know what to do. So many of them were not familiar with the concept of virtual church, right? And how yeah. do you translate it? And then, you know, just there was so many unknowns. And then for, for those of us that were in more metropolitan areas or more high impact areas, we were also dealing with COVID at our doorstep. So we had many congregants who were impacted directly, either they were first responders or they were, you know, had family members who were sick. So it was really a blessing to offer this gift to the church. And then we had our summer of 2020, we had a virtual master class and every one of our nine uh, contributors was able to attend on the week that we had hoped they would for their session to be taught. So that's like, talk about hope and resilience, like, oh my goodness, you just know you're doing the right thing, right? Yeah. When it unfolds like that so nicely, you're, you're, we talk about, you know, order my steps, Lord, right? Order my steps. And so our steps were ordered and, uh, and it really led to a beautiful, um, a, a, just a beautiful movement. So now that um, the other piece that's beautiful about that too, is that we offer it bilingually. So it's in English and in Spanish. A, a wonderful artist, Crystal Wright, came into the picture and has created beautiful watercolor original images for that. Our Bible study, now we're in the middle of editing volume two, and she's contributed to that as well. So it really is this kind of team spirit. That's really like the long-term resilience piece, right? And even when we get tripped up, we can overcome because we're together. Absolutely. And that team aspect, that community aspect is built right into the Bible study. Um, my very favorite section of each session is the she is called and we are called session. The, these biblical women have stories that should inspire and encourage our own stories. Um, and that's, I think, uh, for especially the brothers in our midst, um, a lot of them have missed out on these stories because they were relegated to church basement studies for women's groups, you know, and those are wonderful places to study these biblical women, mm -hmm. but these stories really are intended to bless and inspire the whole church. And so in that section of the study, we're invited to think, how does Priscilla encourage my own faith? Um, Esther was called for a time such as this. What am I being called for at just this time? 
Um, so I'm excited to see how that will continue to grow and flourish. Volume two is going to be just as good. Um, and just today I reached out to my co-editor to say, hey, volume three, um, <laughs> we're getting ready to go. And, and I'm so excited. That's so cool. I love it. I love it. So when you're talking about, you know, moving forward in our own callings, um, I think we just, I'd just love for our listeners to hear a little bit about like, we know now what you did within kind of the scope of this broader ministry and the impact, right? That you being faithful to that calling has had. But then you, as you were just starting the story at the beginning, you were talking about how God had been prompting you that now there's it's time to do something else. And so can you share just a bit about like what your journey has been and um, yeah, and just how resilience has shown up for you as you've lived into that other aspect of your calling? Well, as we were talking about COVID, I, I was excited to work on volume one of the Women of the Bible Study during that time. But at the same time, I was also feeling this prompting um, to do something hopeful um, mm-hmm. for the people around me. And that led to the creation of a free ebook um, called Whispers in the Wilderness, Seven Devotions of Hope in Uncertain Times. And and I still go back to that. Um, really, I wrote that for myself. Those were the words that I needed, the words of hope that I needed, the stories from the Bible that were speaking to me. And I decided to just write it and see what happened. And I still am amazed by how many people have um, been blessed by that little ebook. Um, and that's available for free if anybody wants to get that. Um, that's I'm sure they want to. And that's on your website. Yeah, that's on my website. Yeah, aprilfeet.com. Yep. We'll yeah. tell we'll tell our listeners how to how to access all your goodies at the end, but yes, it's available. And I just I mean just even even just the name, right? I mean, it's so perfect for lavish hope, but you know, seven, it's whispers in the wilderness, seven devotions of hope for uncertain times. Yes. I mean, that's amazing. So beautiful. And I've actually taken a peek at it and it's beautifully laid out. I mean, I just think for anybody, like you feel hopeful just looking at it, you know, just getting in, like it's so inviting. Thank you for, for mentioning that. My my dear friend um, from high school, um, Chris Averill was the designer for, for that ebook. And he and I were very intentional together. We wanted to make sure that this was as visually hopeful um, as it was devotionally hopeful. And so I'm so, so grateful to hear that, that that's been your experience as you've looked through the book. Yes. <laughs> just, yes. I love hearing that, that there was intentionality because it just, it, it is absolutely accomplished. I think our listeners, as they go and they check it out, will agree. It's oh, beautiful. Thank yeah. you. So then you did this and then you've got now something that's launching oh, in yes. real time. Yes. Yeah. So shortly before everything shut down in the world um, because of COVID, I I had a very surprise encounter and a acquisitions editor for a publishing company reached out to me and said, do you have a story to share? Do you have a book proposal? Because I would love to look at it. And after I picked my job off the floor and did some research into the editor to make sure that this was legitimate, um, I turned in a book proposal for a book that is now titled The Sacred Pulse, Holy Rhythms for Overwhelmed Souls. And that proposal was accepted December or January. And then just two months later, March 2020, everything shut down and changed. And this book 
um, the intention behind the book was to explore why we do the things that we do in our ordinary things that we do in our lives. Why do we eat our meals the way that we do? Why do we respond to unexpected gifts of free time the way that we do? Why do we push grief away um, and try to cover it over? Um, what's behind all of those things? And as I started writing this book in the midst of COVID, I realized that the idea that I'd had in my proposal was rather superficial. I had rather shallow ideas, you know, don't eat fast food, make sure you're doing home cooked food around the table, <laughs> you know, very um, cause and effect solution oriented problem solving kinds of views. But when all of a sudden you couldn't go to restaurants because they weren't open, but I still find myself distracted when I'm eating with my children. Um, it made me dig deeper into why. Um, why are those things hard? What rhythms am I listening to? What, what drummer am I marching in step with that's taking my focus off of the holy rhythms that lead to well-being and shalom? And so even though um, the book was harder to write during covid um, what I ended up with was such a gift to myself personally, as far as putting my own life back together, um, mm -hmm. that I hope it will also be that gift and that blessing and that resilience and hope for anyone else who says, you know, there's a, an aspect of my life that isn't the way it needs to be. Something is not bringing me wholeness. Something is not, there's no shalom in my heart, you know, whatever it is. I hope that at least one chapter in my book out of 12 chapters will, will speak that to someone. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, can you just tell for our listeners that might not be familiar with the word shalom, can you just maybe define that quickly? Sure, absolutely. Shalom is the Hebrew concept of wholeness and well-being. And it's not just peace as, as in no violence. It's peace as in the relationships between me and others, myself and the world, uh, myself and myself, are, are whole, um, that there's well-being in those relationships, there's goodness. Beautiful, beautiful. So just wondering, while you're in this process, where, do you, where did you find resilience when you didn't have it? Oh, that's such a like, great what, like what I, you know, I mean, as a writer, you know, you always hear about writer's block. I'm not a writer, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but like, where do you find, like, there must've been some challenges. Where did you find the resilience? Where did you find the sense of hope in the midst of writer's block or whatever those things are that's, that's <laughs> necessary to the process? I know. That's such a great question. Um, one thing that I noticed pretty much across the board among writers, artists, or creators of any kind during COVID was that everyone felt like they were up against a wall. No one knew how to write or how to paint or how to sing. Um, and I think a lot of it was because our decision-making skills were being used for other things. We were having to relearn how to do everything. How do I get my groceries now? How, how do I school my children? Um, I used to just take them to school and now it's on Zoom and I don't know how to do this. And because of all of that emotional energy that was being spent on daily tasks, um, there wasn't a lot left over for creative pursuits. And so I spent a lot of time really staring at a blank page and thinking, I have a deadline and I have nothing. <laughs> 
um, and feeling hopeless. Um, yeah. I'm never going to get this done. I'm going to have to ask for extensions. I, you know, I'm never going to make this deadline. And really what it forced me to realize was that I was trying to force it out of myself um, instead of allowing God to speak and whisper and bubble up as, as God does, when God does, um, I could not control that. And I actually found a tremendous amount of hope to discover that it's not up to me to control those uncontrollable things. Um, once I started to let go of those things, it didn't necessarily make the struggle go away, but it made that inner conversation that I had with myself, it changed. It was no longer, what's wrong with me that I can't write this book? Um, I sat down for an hour and wrote no words, you know, those shaming voices. And instead it was, I'm waiting, I'm quieting myself. Maybe I need to get outside. Maybe I need to seek peace and wholeness in my own life before I can write about peace and wholeness in other people's <laughs> lives. Right. Um, you think you know, <laughs> that's yeah, really wise. That's okay. Yeah. And so it really was a transformational process of digging myself out of that self-shaming or perfectionist um, expectations to really receive the hope and the resilience from God that I needed. Fill my own cup, you know, put my own mask on in the airplane before I can help anyone else. That's so good. I mean, that's a really good practical concept, right? Just for any of us, no matter what we're doing to be thinking about and remembering that. And I think it's really easy to get, you know, we just in our humanity, we think we have to, we have to be the ones to actually control and do. And I mean, we do live in a world with deadlines, right? So, so you can get really hung up on like, it, it's gotta be done this, you know, by when this way, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And that it will, will steal, you know, that steals creativity, steals joy, certainly. And I, I would say it can steal hope. It can put a damper on feeling hopeful. I really appreciate what you were saying, too, about the self-shaming. We've had several of our other um, guests that have come on the podcast have talked about that. Is there anything more that maybe you could share about your journey with that? Kind of how do you guard yourself or kind of close out those voices? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one thing that has really been helpful to me, and it's been modeled so well by my communications coordinator at my church, speak it into the light, speak out the self-shame, find someone that you can share it with and say, I'm telling myself this story right now. And I think that's a very Brene Brown kind of concept too. The story mm -hmm. that I'm making up right now is that I'm a terrible writer and no one wants to read my stuff because I can't <laughs> even write a sentence right now. So good. You know, and and when you speak it, first of all, when you speak it, you realize how critical, judgmental, and unhelpful it is. But you also can have that trusted person speak back to you. Why are you saying these words of shame to yourself? You are a beloved child of God. Um, what would you say to a friend who is in the same position and give you that opportunity, that lens of grace mm -hmm. um, instead of that lens of shame? And rewrite that story, the, the correct story, um, 
I just finished reading Brene Brown's book, Rising Strong, and she talks about how if we don't have the whole story, like if I don't know why I can't write a sentence, I will make up my own story. And quite often those own stories are very harmful stories. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say, this is the story I'm saying, but I'm only telling myself this because I don't know why it's this way. Maybe the answer is something different. Maybe my well is dry. Maybe it's not that I'm a terrible writer. Maybe it's that life's really hard right now. Um, Maybe because of COVID, I'm using all my energy homeschooling my kids. And maybe it's okay if I can't write a page today. Um, And being able to reframe that and have a friend to talk that out with is really, really helpful. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that because I think that's, we just all need to hear that encouragement. So thank you for yeah. bringing that that nice tidbit into our hearing today that we can just all rest on. I hope all our listeners are taking good notes on that. Um, so so when we're thinking about this, you know, where do we get this sense of hope? Um, do you have like particular scripture that you like to fall back on that you like to call to mind when you're in this moment of needing to embrace hope? Yeah, um, that's a great, great question. There's actually one of my little devotions in my ebook that talks about hope in a way. It's drawing off of a psalm that I just absolutely love. It's from Psalm 56.3. And I love the way that the Common English Bible says it. It's whenever I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And I love that because it's whenever I'm afraid, fear is going to happen. Those roadblocks are going to happen. Those dry places are going to happen. But in the midst of it, even when we're experiencing that, we can still be trusting God. Um, So my writer's block is not a lack of trust. Um, My difficulties are not a lack of trust. I mean, sometimes they are, but they don't necessarily have to be. They can coexist. Um, And so that's been very helpful for me. I think that's part of the self-shaming. We'll say, if I'm doing this, then I must not be beloved. Or if I'm doing this, then I must not be having enough faith. But I can be afraid and trust in God at the same time. And there's just something very hopeful about that. I think that that is truly so hopeful because so many of us, get caught in that either or thinking and it had like we just have to be able to hold what you know I'm hashtag both and (laughs) on all things that's the list test away but we just we have to be able to hold that because if we're trying to do the one or the other it it's like we're gonna end up just at a deficit yeah because we are you know and you're talking about the shalom about the wholeness it's like lots of different parts in there right it's not just any one thing And that one thing, if we're trying to just to get locked into like, we're just afraid, it doesn't mean that you don't trust God too. And I I love how you've articulated that, that you can be afraid and trust God. I mean, there's that saying, um, be afraid and do it anyway. Yes. So it's just to be able to have that both and. That's beautiful. So how are you cultivating hope today, April? Oh, that's that's a lovely question. Um, (laughs) Something that I have been doing I have always found nature to be very hopeful. Um, But over the last year or so, I have made a practice of taking a daily walk 
with my husband or by myself. Um, and we've got a beautiful walking area, not terribly far from our house. And what has really helped me cultivate hope is to be attentive and mindful to my surroundings when I'm walking. I've discovered so many things that way. Out here in Western Nebraska, we don't have very many cardinals, um, but I have noticed on my walks that I can hear their song. And then I go looking for them. And I actually found a cardinal family in our park, um, a male and a female, and I'm assuming there's babies somewhere. Um, so I, I go looking for them and that's very hopeful to me. Um, we also have a family of mule deer that come into the park by my house and, and they let me get so close to them, um, just feet away from them. And we just look at each other and they stick up their funny ears. Their ears are so huge. And, um, and it just, it's so hopeful to realize that the God who took time to create these beautiful, marvelous creatures is caring about me at the same time. So I'm admiring these creatures and I know God's also admiring me. Um, and how cool is that? That is truly beautiful. I love that image. And, you know, we, that, what's so nice about that sort of daily walk idea is you can do that anywhere. Yes, and you happen to do it in your context with things called mule deer. I didn't even know there was such a yes. creature. I love that. Oh, look them up. They're hilarious. Um, <laughs> but but I've even, you know, sometimes I take my walk around my church. And my church is in a far more um, trafficked area. There's a lot of cars and trucks. And um, so you've got all that industrial noise. Um, but marveling at that crabapple tree by the St. Francis Episcopal Church is a beautiful crimson red today you know, and noticing that and how it contrasts against the white stucco. And it's just marvelous. Um, there's always something, even if you work in a high rise, taking a walk down the hall and looking out someone's window, there's always something. Well, you're just making me chuckle because I'm thinking, you know, in New York City, one of the favorite things is when the first snowfall comes. Mm -hmm. It's just magical to be walking down a city street and the streetlights come on and there's the snow falling. And it's it's really very beautiful. So we can find those places to cultivate hope and the beauty of God's creation, even in the small places yes. that it might be able to in the urban context that it sneaks in. But there's there's um always places that we can find that. So that's wonderful. That's beautiful. So just as we're finishing up, April, just, you know, your book is launching, just thinking like, what, what are you most hopeful about with your book? What are you like, what can you tell us in terms of that newest thing that you're doing? This, this beautiful book that God has put on your heart that, you know, you first started to cultivate the idea of, you know, almost two years ago now, um, as, as, as COVID was, yet still to come. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just what are you hope, most hopeful about regarding the book? What I am the most hopeful about regarding my book are the conversations that it will lead to. Um, I haven't really thought much about pre-orders or sales or any of those kinds of things. The thing I'm the very most excited about is being able to talk with other people about how my thoughts around each of these topics, how those relate to their lives. And I'm just, I'm so excited for that, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or I'm imagining that I'll do a little study with it at my church. Um, 
but just hearing how that lands for other people to see if it has the same kind of effect for them that it did for me. That's great. I'm sure others will be excited to do that too. It just sounds like it's going to be such a rich, meaningful um, offering to many folks. And it's, it's, this is for people in the church, but it sounds like just the way you're naming it, right? The sacred pulse, holy rhythms for overwhelmed souls, that that just can spread well beyond the doors of a church that, you know, anyone who's kind of on the journey to, you know, their spiritual journey would be able to engage with this book. Is that absolutely? Yeah, I wrote the way I wrote this book is I'm very transparent with the reader that I'm a pastor, and I'm writing based on my own reflections in my life and scripture and thoughts about God. But I'm offering these as conversation pieces and nothing um, nothing to be shaming of where other people are on their own journeys, but really to invite them to be a partner in conversation about what do these things mean? What does it look like to be a faithful steward of the time that I have, of the relationships that I have? Um, and so I, I say, you know, if you're Christian adjacent, <laughs> you know, you, you would appreciate this book or really anyone who's asking that question of how can I approach the day-to-day things in my life with intentionality and meaning. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And, you know, I just see that as, you know, as for myself, my call to ministry is hospitality. So as I think about that concept of of radical hospitality, of loving hospitality, um, and I think about lavish hope, I see this book as really embodying those concepts from what you're saying is that inviting people in it's hospitable letting people come alongside and be part of the conversation that's you know um it's about drawing the circle wide it's about setting a a a welcoming table and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing in this book and I know that's you know your webs your your website is at the table with the seat right that's your blog so it sounds like you've really created something that's holistic in that regard Oh, thank you. Um, The way that I view my writing, I resist the idea of platforms. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though I know for the marketing world, that's very important. How big is your platform? Um, For me, it's not as much about making a platform as it is about spreading a table and inviting in new conversation partners. Because to me, writing is not something that I do just to express myself. I'm sharing these things in the hopes that other people will do the same. That's beautiful. That's those ripple effects, right? That like, we we don't just want to be the center of it. We want to create ripple effects so that people go and have those conversations or have those experiences, bring those concepts, hope type, hope filled concepts into their own world. Absolutely. Well, that's wonderful. April, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am so full of hope and I know our listeners will be as well. And congratulations on the release of this beautiful book. And thank you for bringing your gifts so fully to our particular work in the Reformed Church in America, but also throughout all of the world, because we know that that, the world is your platform, my sister. (laughs) And it is a beautiful table that you're setting, uh, deconstructing the concept of platform, right? That you're just setting a beautiful table for so many people to be able to to come to and uh, and to be nourished at. So thank you. Wonderful to have you with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for filling me with hope. This has been such a wonderful time. 
Thank you so much for joining us on this special bonus episode with April Feet. We are eagerly in the midst of planning for season three to be released in early 2022. But until then, we're going to take a little time to celebrate the season. To order the Sacred Pulse, Holy Rhythms for Overwhelmed Souls, in time for holiday gift giving and New Year small groups, as well as to connect with April directly, head over to aprilfeet.com. That's April, A-P-R-I-L, feet, F-I-E-T.com. You can also order the book on Amazon. April's website is full of wonderful resources, beautifully laid out, and you can also access her free ebook, Whispers in the Wilderness, Seven Devotions of Hope for Uncertain Times. The perfect next step after listening to Lavish Hope, don't you think? You can also follow April on social at, at April Feet. Remember, that's F-I-E-T. In addition, consider this your personal invitation to join our upcoming Sacred Pulse Masterclass book study with April herself. After months of disrupted routines and changes to what our daily lives look like, many people are asking, how do I live my life in a way that brings wholeness and well-being? Starting on Thursday, January 13th, 2022, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern, April will lead a six-week study helping participants to discover holy and life-giving rhythms for their overwhelmed souls. Stay tuned for registration opening soon. If you haven't taken the time, subscribe to Lavish Hope anywhere that you listen to podcasts to stay updated and have access to episodes as soon as they drop. We have many exciting, hope-filled things planned for 2022 grateful to all of you that have made Lavish Hope a wonderful success in 2021. This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on scripture and church, stories about how other Christians are following God's call, and resources to bring your own church or organization along for the ride. The Lavish Hope podcast is produced by Anna Radcliffe with assistant production by Lorraine Parker. Sound design by Garrett Steyer and web support by Grace Ryder and Barb Ellis.